Welcome to Prime Cohesion. Please join us as we move forward in this endeavor. We hope you join us for some banter and laughs as we touch on the real life topics that united us. Please be advised, content can be mature in nature and disturbing to some. We're not always the experts, but we strive to do our part to bring awareness to subjects that matter to us and provide support when we can. Let me introduce your hosts, Jason, Smitty, and Tater. How you doing? Great. Well, this is Tara Nichols. She runs the Nichols Center out of Douglasville. Was her and her mother-in-law Susie. Welcome this is where to I... the show. Thank nice you. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So how do you fit up with Smitty down there? <laughs> We're in the same office. So it's uh <laughs> So we wanted to have you on to talk because you are uh well versed dealing with uh trauma and um PTSD type situation so we wanted to go down that rabbit hole this evening was basically if you could give some brief statistics on ptsd i guess in the area or whatever you whatever knowledge you can bring forth in that area and then we have about oh somebody posted about 22 questions that are uh some relevant some not so we'll get to some of those as well but if you can briefly just state uh, your name and what you do, your specialties. That'd be great. Awesome. All right. So um, I'm a mental health therapist, um, a licensed professional counselor in the state of Georgia. And my degree as a mental health counselor, I particularly focus on the brain as an organ. Um, so what that means for me is that, that just as individuals who are predisposed to developing diabetes or heart issues or other physical um, illnesses. Mental health is a lot like that. There's genetic traits that would predispose certain individuals to being prone to develop, you know, bipolar disorders, depression, anxiety, and based on certain genetic features and the way they manage their mental health, as a you know person navigating life, the way they manage that um, could directly impact the actual brain, the brain self, and as well as the identity of the person. And for me, it's important to make that distinction because a lot of people will say, well, you know, only crazy people go get help or only people who um, have problems go see a therapist. And the reality is, is everyone who has a car has a car engine. And if you have a car engine, there's certain maintenance and checkups and tune-ups you need to do. And if you don't do those, your car breaks down because the engine breaks down. And the same is with your brain. If you've got a brain, which we assume most people do, that there are certain things that they need to do to maintain that uh, state of wellness, that mental health. And so whenever I work with people, I work from that perspective of uh, treating your your brain as a as an organ as a real thing that you have to take care of does that make sense yes so before we get into the ptsd so you, you're familiar with breacher syndrome then similar to cte so when it comes to traumatic brain injuries and repeated trauma you're talking about not just emotional trauma you're talking about the physical traumas and what that does neurologically to the brain right is that yeah. what you're asking well are the symptoms similar i mean you can be like ptsd but it might be mistaken from preacher syndrome okay so ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder which is so the way you define a disorder comes from frequency, duration, and intensity, right? So you can have what's called PTSS, post-traumatic stress symptoms, and that's a symptomology, right? That's the hypervigilance, um, the night terrors, the anxieties, um, insomnia. There's a lot of different uh, symptoms that individuals who experience trauma 
uh, can, you know, they, those symptoms can metastasize in their life. PTSD, what makes it a D is that the disorder impacts their ability to uh, function on a normal level, and it impacts it in such a way that the intensity, duration, and frequency is enough to inhibit their daily normal normative activities, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what gives it that PTSD. Um, we are in kind of a, a place in history where we have a lot of exposure to knowledge. We have a lot of exposure to mental health and to other things. We have a lot of, you know, people are writing a lot of op-eds. They're learning a lot about uh, mental health. They're, they're coming up with new words and phrases. And so a lot of times people can whitewash or, you know, kind of give these broad generalizations to um, behaviors or disorders that aren't specific enough, right? And so trauma can be defined in multiple different ways. Trauma just means that there is a traumatic event that's impacted that person. And you can have what they call big T trauma, which is those major um, experiences like, uh, you know, natural disasters, medical emergencies, the family that I know that just got into the car accident, those are major traumatic events, right? So that's what we would classify as big T trauma. And then you can have what they call little T trauma, which is uh, those small, little, painful experiences, those small rejections, um, you know, the boss that's always, um, you know, creating problems for you at work, the uh, spouse who never... Um, really recognizes um, the good that you do in your life. The bully or the narcissist who doesn't give you the thing that you need to feel loved, valued, appreciated, uh, and appreciated. And so those small traumas, you know, uh, discrimination, small racist acts, uh, people who, you know, close the door in your face, those things can be over time just as traumatic as those large, impactful moments. So when you're talking about having physical trauma like you would in a car accident but then you're comparing it to football players where they're going to they're having these maybe smaller in impact but they're repeated that's going to impact not only the brain right and now you're getting into neuroscience of what that does to the brain but also you have to think about what that does to the emotions of the person going through that gotcha so there's three types of trauma therapy that a therapist would do right now. Now I'm not a neuroscientist, so I can't really look at brain scans and talk to you about what all that does inside the actual brain and what medications or lifestyles that would need to, to change in order to help that person walk a wellness journey who's has, you know, those neurological deficits because of their trauma. But on a therapeutic side, there are three different ways that you can work through emotional trauma. So they have what they call top-down therapy. Well, first there's symptomology, uh, symptomology reduction, which is basically things you do to reduce the symptoms the person feels. So when you experience trauma, you have a um, sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system. And your sympathetic nervous system is basically your alarm system in your brain. So when you as a evolved species have developed the ability to recognize uh, when something bad is about to happen, right? Um, you catch something out of the corner of your eye, uh, you hear a sound, you smell something, and your sympathetic nervous system goes into what they call fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. And that, you know, floods your body with adrenaline and it allows you to respond to that bad thing. When your body's in a state of response, you are, you know, you're on. You're all the hormones, all the adrenaline, everything's ready to protect yourself or protect the people who you are trying, you know, to save from that bad thing, whatever that is. The parasympathetic nervous system is actually the ability to wind down from that. That is the responder to your uh, initial fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. And so that kind of works to calm you down, to say, okay, the threat has been 
um, subsided, you are not in danger, the people you love are not in danger, you're okay. And you wind your body and your hormones and your emotions down. Your body at that point has, your brain has what's called reuptakes and they go around and they basically clean up the adrenaline that's been dumped and flooded into your system so that you could respond adequately to the threat. So when you're working from a symptomology reduction pathway, what you're trying to do is allow the body to reduce its sensitivity to danger by using pharmacological treatments. So that's putting people on medications. Um, so a lot of times vet, vets, when they return home from the war and they're having night terrors, PTSD syndromes, hypervigilance, or, you know, sometimes, um, you know, first responders will go through this where they're like, hey, I'm having these symptoms. They will begin putting them on a cocktail of substances, you know, medically induced reduction of symptoms. And that can help reduce the body's natural response to go into that hypervigilance. However, it doesn't actually do anything that heals the emotional trauma. Does that make sense? Yes. And you're just basically medicating it down and they're just basically in a fog. Yes. And so it is not a long-term tr treatment strategy. And so a lot of times whenever I have people ask me, okay, well, you know, I'm dealing with this emotional problem like depression, anxiety, PTSD, insomnia, should I get on medication? Well, if you're starting a treatment plan and you want to reduce your symptoms as the first step into your treatment plan because your symptoms are so great you can't carry them alone anymore, that's a really good thing to consider as one piece to a trauma-informed treatment plan. Does that make sense? The yes. second form, yeah, the second form of treatment is called uh, top-down trauma uh, treatment, and that is starting with the individual's triggers. So those are the things that they're going to respond to. Uh, those are going to be, you know, how they, they feel safe or, or on guard and identifying what makes them feel on guard. And then once you notice what it is, oh, well, you know, it, uh, you notice that when you're in a room and you're full of people and the noise level gets to a certain level, you, your PTSD is triggered. And if you don't work a treatment plan at that point, you might have an episode or you notice when your wife says this or does this. Um, I know some people who've, who've had some uh, forms of uh, abandonment issues that if they see a phone light up in the dark, you know, the, the screen lighting up can be a trigger for them, right? So those small little things, once you notice and identify what your triggers are, then you can kind of put some steps into action to reduce the level of intensified adrenaline response that your body would naturally push you into. Your body has been trained to respond to threats with this extreme fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. And so you know when you're triggered, that's what your body's going to do. It's going to charge those engines and you're going to over respond to a now normative situation. So you learn to identify those, you work a little plan to calm yourself down, and then that way, when something does happen, you are not overreacting to a now normative plan. So a lot of times people who are returning from, you know, your veterans, your first responders, the people who are coming from high trauma, people who've been in abusive relationships, who've been in abusive situations, um, when they're, they're in everyday normative situations now their trauma the way their body's naturally been wired to respond is still the same they have to learn how to un you know to, to navigate that backwards and basically rewire the way they respond to trauma so that's the second form of treatment it works okay but as you can imagine it takes a lot a lot of maintenance to go around identifying every little thing that might set you off and you really have to keep a controlled environment in order to not overreact to something that you weren't anticipating. So many times our current way of dealing with people with trauma, with PTSD, our current way of helping them is to put the medication. And if they're really bad, add some cognitive behavioral therapy, some CBT top-down treatment to give them a few tools and skills so that they don't go off the deep end. However, 
it's not a really great method of treatment. When you say cognitive skills, what do you mean? Cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive, uh, you know, is basically that your thoughts, right? How to work through your thoughts, identify what thoughts are maladaptive, right? What thinking you have that's uh, not helping you. And once you identify, okay, well, the way I look at this situation is probably part of the problem, being able to replace those kinds of thoughts with healthier thoughts or healthier responses, different beliefs about yourself, different cognitive processes, and then adding to that new behaviors. Um, so, so teaching yourself not to throat punch somebody when they ask you something you don't want to hear. Exactly. And so as a therapist, if I was to sit down with you and say, okay, what was that thing that you believed that they were saying to you, right? So when someone says something you don't want to hear, there's a belief you have tied to the thing they said that triggered that strong emotional response in you. Right. So if you're talking to someone and they say, ah, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about, you could choose to hear that as, oh, that person just is closed-minded. Or you could choose to hear that as that person completely disrespects me, has no respect for who I am. I should gain my respect by teaching them to respect and listen to me. And then you could over-respond, right? So those are two different beliefs in the same scenario. Right. Cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy would teach you to, to filter out every scenario and hear it the way it's best for you and not the way you've been pre-wired to hear it. Earlier, you, you were talking about uh, four things, three of which I'm familiar with, fight, flight, and freeze. What is fawn? So fawn is a response to trauma that is conditioned. Has anybody heard of Pavlov's dog? Yes. Okay, so Pavlov started this experiment with conditioning a dog to salivate when to anticipate uh, food when hearing a bell. They've actually continued Pavlov's dog's experiments to many, many other layers of, of in-depth behavioral responses to where you can actually condition a dog to not escape from torture, even when it would be extremely possible and easy for them to leave their cage. And that's a point of conditioning. Fawning is when the individual who's being traumatized is conditioned to seek to appease the abuser in order to prevent the trauma from impacting themselves or others even further. And you see this a lot with children who've been raised in abusive households or uh, women. Yes, domestic. Exactly. So if I, I see this person's escalating and they're becoming ang more and more angry and I realize the trauma that's going to happen. So as I see their anger, I'm going to respond with fawning, which is to try to appease them in order to reduce the level of harm that would happen to myself or others around me. Sounds almost like it's a little bit akin to Stockholm Syndrome somewhat where they sympathize with their captor but yes, there's but more of them just trying to protect themselves than anything yes and you'll see a lot of this happen where you have an older sibling who is trying to protect the younger siblings or a wife trying to protect the children or even sometimes a husband trying to protect the children from the abusive spouse you you can have these scenarios where it's a protective feature, but once they leave that scenario or they're in a different relationship, they're over-catering to other people's needs and, and basically uh, bleeding themselves out emotionally. They're not, they're not ever considering how that impacts them because they're so worried about what happens to everyone else around them, and they never care for themselves. Gotcha. That would so, be, that sounds exhausting. Yes. And, and I would say, you know, because when you have, you have veterans, you have first responders, you have, you know, 
everyday people who live, everyone experiences trauma, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, everyone is experiencing this um, on a regular basis. And people with that, that operate within relationships um, or come from families in which they didn't have that good love and that good love and support in their lives, they're more likely to adapt those, uh, adopt those negative cognitions, those negative beliefs about themselves that predispose them for that disorder. There's a lot of evidence that individuals who have gone, ha had a really solid, loving home, really great parents, uh, supportive caretaker, maybe it wasn't their parents, maybe it was their grandparents, but had somebody who really was there for them and really gave them that strength and security in their early years, when they go through trauma, they reset back to that healthy perspective of their life. And that traumatic event shrinks down to just that event. It was just a bad thing that happened to them. Whereas people who don't have that love and support, who have had, um, you know, whether it was a divorce or abuse in their childhood or trauma that occurred to them at a very, very young age, and they didn't have that strength, love and support from a, a consistent caregiver, as they get older, when trauma happens to them, it becomes they are a bad person that trauma occurs to, and it's their fault that all these bad things happen to them. And that's the miswiring that happens in the brain. So the belief structure that they operate on is based, of, based on their own injuries, their own mental health injuries, and not the bad thing that happened. Right. They blame their, everything that happened on their whole life. It's always been my fault, apparently, because it keeps happening. Right. That that uh, what do they call common denominator? Like right. I'm the common denominator in my own life. Well, of course you are. It's your life. But it gets assigned to their identity um, in their in their thought process. So that's kind of an indicator if you could screen for it to, you know, veterans going into war zones that they could be susceptible to PTSD in this type of environment. Well, I mean, you're talking about tough, tough individuals who have joined a cause um, to protect and serve their country, whether it was to escape their, their uh, you know, abusive or maladaptive childhood or based on a, a desire to have a purpose greater than themselves. And you're asking them to be vulnerable about the wounds that they carry before they even get to battle. And most individuals that I know, even the healthy ones that come to, to therapy to talk about their feelings, most individuals are not vulnerable and honest about the wounds that they carry. Really? They just kind of hold it in or they just don't tell the whole story? Um, most people suck it up. They don't, they don't trust sharing because if... I mean, if you think about it, if I shared something with you that was uh, deep and painful and even talking about it might compromise me emotionally and you then had this piece of knowledge about me that you could either use to judge me with or create a space of empathy. Okay. Yeah. It, that's hard. It, I mean, that's hard for anybody let alone someone with a type A personality with who's been through trauma and had their secrets used against them. Most children who have gone through uh, abusive cycles as children have been conditioned not to say anything because if they said anything, the people who they love will be hurt. Most children take abuse from people that they love. They love the person who's abusing them because it's usually their parents or, or family member that's close to them. Right, and somebody they, close. Right. So how, why would they tell something bad out of self-preservation that gets the other person hurt? Do you think that's one of the reasons why we have such a problem in this country with um, veterans and first responders, PTSD, and them not opening up because they just, they don't know how they don't, you think that's the biggest reason why not that there's not help available. It's just, they're not seeking it. Uh, yes. I, I think that that's a big piece to the puzzle. Um, I think that we, as a whole, we have only recently started opening up to the fact that, um, 
because people who are facing mental illness, the way they carry their mental illness and the way they manage their mental illness is so various. It could it could be it could mean anything. Somebody who's mentally ill could be mean mean well they just lay on their couch and binge watch Netflix and eat too much ice cream and, and don't leave their couch and that's a mental illness. Or they could be the types of people who are stalking other people or hurting other people or shooting up schools. And so there's such a as vast as neurobiology is and neurodiversity is is as vast as mental illness. So when you say the word mental illness, nobody wants to be associated with that because it could mean anything. And no one really understands the gravity of what that could mean. It seems like the only time they use it in the media or in the, the world at large, it always means something negative. It's never anything positive. Right, right. So when you have like we had the, the athlete uh, in the Olympics, uh, the gymnast who wanted to step down for a mental health day. You know, when you have cases like that, even in moments like that where it could have potentially been a very positive thing to protect that athlete, to protect the team effort, even that was criticized on a great scale because, you know, they, people were saying, oh, well, she's just mentally weak. Right. We're just now working on building and changing the stigma. We're just now working on the fact that um, we as a society need to consider that we are all going through trauma. You know, we are all experiencing uh, suffering. Life is filled with suffering. It's how you face that suffering that really matters. Who you have around you. Who you have around you, the skills you have. The re, you know, everyone who goes, I mean, even the best parents will cause some kind of um, deficit within their child's development. We're not perfect. Um, you know, the, the kind of childhood you had, how the parenting styles you experienced, you know, the, the people that shaped you, all of those things matter. Let me ask you this. Is the family unit as like when I was younger is completely different, but in this world today, the family unit's like vastly different i mean there's a lot of split families you know multiple parents no is that contributing to more of a problem with the children yes i would say that divorce is trauma no matter how you look at it and even the best divorces where both parents are are co-parenting well um i've worked with families where the mother and the father live three minutes apart and the child can walk from home to home and they're, you know, equally invested and supportive in co-parenting and they're friends with, you know, each other's new relationships. And it's, it's, you know, just something out of this world wonderful. Even that is traumatic and, and difficult for children to process because we all have this deep need to see our family unit and the people we love together and connected. It doesn't mean that people who are in abusive relationships or in relationships that are non-viable should force the issue to stay together for the sake of the kids because that also can be very detrimental to children. But it does mean that the value of connection, the value of family, the importance of having those, those strong conversations and those um, building those moral values for your relationships before you have kids is very, very crucial. Because once you have kids, the damage that it creates to separate those families is so much deeper than just your broken heart. It's their life. Yeah, I can see where that would be. Um, my parents were divorced when I was real young, but I guess I dealt with it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you turned out all right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, had a good, I had a good, my mother was quite supportive, so I was okay in that regard. In that regard. Oh, your mom's cool. Like yeah, <laughs> I've never met your mom, but I think she's cool. <laughs> uh, no, I talked to her on the phone a few times. I'm wrong. I think I think you have. Um, another question wh that we were gonna get into also is uh, in the in the spirit of getting all the information out we possibly can. Um, resources for people both that suffer from PTSD or these type of things, uh, first responders, veterans resources for people that 
are both going through it and resources for people that maybe have a friend who they see going through it that may not recognize it themselves. I mean, is there any tips you would give to people that could help somebody in that regard that maybe doesn't realize how bad they're going through it? Um, absolutely. Before I get to answer that question, I want to tell you guys the third form of treatment for trauma therapy, which is, I think, going to answer partly answer that question you just asked me as well. Perfect. So the third form of trauma-informed treatment care is what they call bottom-up treatment. And bottom-up treatment is an actual deep internal belief system or value system shift within the person's uh, emotional and psychological well-being. So when you think about a form of treatment that allows someone to connect to their belief system and alter that belief system, remember we talked about cognitive behavioral beliefs and those that are maladaptive, those beliefs that gear us towards being on guard towards threat versus feeling internally safe and emotionally well. And a form of therapy for this is called EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, EMDR. It's a mouthful. Yes, yes. EMDR actually uses bilateral stimulation, which is if you think about you're driving in a car, right? And as you're driving, the trees are going past you on the right, on the left, on the right, on the left, on the right, on the left. And your eyes travel with the trees, right? And somewhere in the drive, you go from being emotionally wound up to just kind of calm. You're just going for a drive, right? Next thing you know, your thoughts are at a different place and your emotions, you know, dial down and you're able to just kind of think almost a daydream-like state, almost hypnotic, not quite hypnosis, but almost hypnotic daydream-like state. Has everybody been through that scenario before? You get somewhere and you don't remember the drive? Yeah. yeah. So I used to swear like my truck knew how to get home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or like when you're in the shower and you're in the shower and next thing you know, you're thinking or you're singing or you're not really sure what you're thinking about. And you're writing little steam, you know, in the steam on the walls and, and you're thinking things that you almost like solving problems you didn't know how to solve before because you're in a state of relaxation. That dreamlike state actually increases brainwave activities. So when you ask me first about traumatic brain injuries and some of these concussion-based um, dis you know, disorders that are, are creating these problems based on impact trauma, as well as probably emotional trauma, because people who've experienced concussions are more likely to develop anxiety and depression, major depressive disorders. This meditative, uh, dreamlike state through bilateral stimulation actually increases brainwave activities and connects the different sides of the brain. So you have right brain and left brain, right? You're more creative, more imaginative side of the brain, and you're more logical, you're more analytical side of the brain. You also have your base brain, which is your instinctual brain that you were born with, um, that developed early on in life. That's where a lot of your sympathetic nervous system responses are housed inside that brain stem that you know, triggers the hormones that responds to trauma. But then your higher level of thinking, your cognitive functioning, that's the top brain, right? And that develops post-teenage years. When you, meet your, when you have a teenager and you're like, are you dumb or something? You know, most likely they are because that cognitive part of the brain has not finished forming. It's actually going through a process of growing that's going to take up until they're 25 years old. Your brain does not stop growing until you're at least 25 years old. Good Lord, I got eight more years of this boy? Yes. Yes. Being an yes. idiot? Yes. Um, so those four sides of the brain, right brain, left brain, top brain, bottom brain, base brain, those trauma disconnects their ability to work together and when you go through a traumatic experience the memories are stored like a broken jigsaw puzzle so one piece of the memory is over in one side of the brain another piece is way over here so as the memory scattered across the brain when you come to recall it 
your brain kind of is all over the place. A lot of times when people try to, to tell their tra trauma stories, they, they don't remember all the facts and they can't always put words behind it. And they'll tell you a piece and then some other piece appears in their mind. Using EMDR, the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, allows people to connect with the different sides of the brain through that bilateral stimulation that kind of brings on that semi-hypnotic relaxed state that connects the different sides of the brain and allows them to recall more of the memories than ever before. People with PTSD, the one of the strongest treatments that we have is EMDR therapy. They also are doing a lot of research with uh, microdosed psychedelic treatments. And those are uh, microdosing um, like different mushrooms or psychedelics. Yes. <laughs> that, would allow, that would allow someone to reconnect with some of those deep memories on a controlled basis. Is that like where they have a, it's like you got a headgear on and they're giving you like flashing lights, left, right, left, right, for an extended yes. period of time? Yes. Um, I use tappers. Tappers, you hold them in your hand, they vibrate. Um, one, the right, uh, right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand. And my clients, especially the adult clients, it's very grounding. It actually takes you out of your head and back into your body. And so you're able to control your breathing better. Um, you're able to connect more with your thoughts. Uh, you're not just feeling these emotions and disconnecting. Uh, the way the brain stays safe during trauma is through disassociation. And so disassociation is like when you're floating above your body in a cloud or when you kind of went through something and you're not really sure what you just experienced. Um, most people have different variations of intensity of disassociation. And most people who've been through trauma will disassociate often in a day just to disconnect from the stress and the pressure of their everyday life. Uh, sometimes you can disassociate and not even realize it. And a lot of people, like when they, you know, if you're brushing your teeth in the morning and you look in the mirror and your eyes catch yourself and you're like, oh, is, is that what I really look like? Well, that's a, that's a sign of disassociation. If, if you don't view yourself as you actually look. Um, you know, sometimes people will be, like you said, arrive somewhere and they're not even sure how they got there or have experiences where they don't feel like themselves. Uh, a lot of people who have panic attacks, their panic attack is a byproduct of disassociation. Hmm. By, by using uh, those behavioral techniques that we talked about in cognitive behavioral treatments, you can actually treat you, uh, teach yourself or train yourself to be more intentional and mindful. And this is where we get into like mindfulness training. Mindfulness training is putting your mind, your actual brain, brain identity, the identity self of you, back into your everyday physical body. And so if I think about this right here, like where I am right now, I'm, I'm sitting in my dining room. I'm sitting on this chair. This chair is kind of uncomfortable. I can feel pain in my lower back. I can see the room around me. I can see a gray wall and a white wall. And I, I stop and I think very specifically about where I am, what I'm doing. Can I smell anything? What can I smell? Um, is there anything I can hear? Um, and you, you connect your, your intellectual self with your actual surroundings. And that reassociates yourself and will allow you to stay more physically present. So a lot of times people with PTSD, they will begin spiraling into a, an, a flashback episode or into um, rage or anger. And that's simply because they have disassociated from where they're at and their brain self, their memories are taking them to a place where they feel unsafe. And so they right. might be physically safe in the moment, but their brain is somewhere unsafe, right? The brain is, brain is back where the trauma was, wherever that was. Right. And so using EMDR, bilateral stimulation, 
And you can do that in session, but you can also learn tools to ground yourself. Like I will touch the insides of my, um, uh, it's between my uh, index finger and my thumb. There's a little stress point right between there. And if you pinch that, that will reassociate yourself. It's a nerve. Um, there's certain pressure points. Tapping is another really, really good tool for um, trauma-informed treatment to ground yourself and to be mindful. You can tap along the sides of your face, around your eyes, around your nose, around your chin. You can tap your heart center. You can uh, do systematic muscle relaxation, and that's where you go from either top down or bottom up, focusing on each muscle group, tightening, releasing, tightening, releasing. Breath work, breathing work like you learn in yoga, um, breathing in, breathing out, holding that breath. Any kind of body work, right? And this is where you get into people that experience uh, emotional breakthroughs through Reiki, people who experience emotional breakthroughs through restorative yoga. Sometimes men will work out in the gym, well, not just men, but people will work out in the gym to work through their traumas, those physical moments, those uh, breakthroughs for the physical body will help ground the brain self and reassociate themselves to their physical body. Yeah. Um, tai Chi, I think, is... Tai Chi is a brilliant form of this, yes. Yes. Um, another thing to think about is, uh, you know, maybe not even something so uh, as robust. A lot of times uh, individuals who might be physically challenged, maybe they've had an injury or... Um, they've lost a limb or, you know, they're not able to get up and go to the gym all the time or go to yoga or whatever. They will do uh, rhythmic needlework. So crocheting, knitting, uh, cross stitch, anything with their hands that's rhythmic, uh, that moving back and forth of right hand, left hand, right hand, left hand can actually again, ground the brain and allow the body to connect back to what it is they're focused on and allow the mind to rest. Anything repetitive? Just, yes. Yes. Repetitive, uh, tactilely stimulating, and, and restful. I think sometimes this is why we love the ocean so much, right? The ocean, the noise, the blue, the color blue is very soothing. Colors are a big part of our psyche. The fact um, that I'm not at work. Oh, right. That's a big part of it. <laughs> so if you are going to a therapist and you're looking for real trauma healing, the things that you can, can think about is, you know, first off, are my symptoms so heavy, so strong that I need symptom, symptomology, symptomology reduction, right? Do I need to be on a medication or a treatment regimen that allows myself to not have to carry the intensity of these symptoms every day because I'm raw and numb from them, okay? Sometimes that helps to get you started. Then, am I learning the tools and skills I need for that top-down approach, right? Am I learning how to identify my trauma triggers and create a safe space around me so that I'm not constantly being triggered? And then lastly, am I doing the work, that internal emotional relief work, EMDR, um, the, the yoga, tai chi, um, physical safety that allows me to increase my, the safety I feel internally, not just managing my environment, but internally feeling safe within myself that allows me to feel healed and whole as a, as a person. When you have a, a trauma-informed treatment plan that does at least two, if not all three of these forms of treatment, then you're going to have something that really can help you walk through healing. I usually tell people, as long as you walk into the woods is as long as you're going to have to walk out of the woods. So if you have been walking a trauma-filled life for five, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, then anticipate that that's going to be the length of the treatment journey really going to have to walk. And this is a wellness lifestyle change. This is not a fad diet, right? You're not going to go to 12 weeks of therapy and be cured. You're going to have to sh shift your lifestyle that allows you to manage your brain the same way you would take care of a really nice car. You're going to want to have 
those things in place that allow you to feel uh, safe, cared for, you know, do things to reward yourself when you're taking care of yourself, get plenty of sleep. We as a, as a nation do not get enough sleep. Um, you need to have vitamins and minerals. I mean, a lot of the mental health problems we face today are exacerbated by mineral deficiencies and terrible food. You're saying so, fast food's not good for you? Right? Is that what you're saying? Right. I can't yes. afford real food. <laughs> and a lot of times we're taking cheap supplements, right? These are supplements that have sat in a warehouse for six years and, you know, got processed way down and wherever they have no fda uh, regulations on them there's no standard of care for them like there's they're just things people put in a capsule to make to, to make money and so you need to know that if you're if you're going to to eat if you can eat organically if you can be mindful of your mineral intake if you can if, if you're not going to eat you know, amazingly with lots of fruits and vegetables or, or good solid um, meats and proteins that are, you know, ethically sourced and good for you. If you're not going to do that, but you're going to do like supplemental, um, you know, magnesium or, you know, different things to, you know, I, I take some amino acids and stuff. Make sure that where you're getting your supplements or you're getting the things to, to strengthen your brain's health, that you're getting them from responsibly sourced you know, good quality, bioavailable, um, you know, solid researched places. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of tainted product out there. We we touched on that a little bit in another podcast. Me and Tater were talking about it, uh, getting, when you do your supplement research, make sure it's third-party tested and it's not just the people that are selling it that are telling you it's good. Right, absolutely. So um, another form of at home, you know, something you can do at home that I do a lot of is heat therapies. There is a lot of research that infrared saunas, infrared heat therapy actually induces a fever-like state in the body, which reduces the swelling that would be along the soft tissues of the body. When, I don't know if you remember when I said at the beginning of today's conversation, we were talking about how your body goes through that adrenaline dump right? In order to respond. And then when your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in to kind of clean it up, well, when you've gone through an adrenaline dump, your reuptakes, there's too much chemical for them to just put nicely back on the shelf and say, okay, we're going to use that for later. So when they're cleaning up your system, they're putting those, you know, basically overloaded toxins now in your system anywhere they can find them. And that's going to be along your spinal column, in your knees, in the soft tissues of the bodies, and those fatty tissues, right? And so a lot of people will have joint pain, back pain, stiffness in areas that they're like, I don't know why I'm hurting here, but I'm hurting here, right? And so often those pains are emotional traumas that were never dealt with. And those are toxic buildup of those hormones that the body had, you know, dumped into the system. And so using infrared heat therapies, um, like, you know, going in a, in a good sauna, um, you can do magnesium, hot, hot magnesium baths. And I usually tell people who are trying to do this to um, every other night, start at 98 degrees and gradually increase the water as hot as you can stand it with six to eight pounds of Epsom salt because the magnesium and the Epsom salt um, will help draw out the toxins. Um, You can do ionic foot detoxes. Any kind of detoxification process that you can do will also impact uh, the way you feel the, the inflammation in the body that comes from experiencing trauma over a long period of time. You just went really old school with that because Granny used to make us do that when we got hurt. Epsom salts was like the cure-all. My mom used to make me soak my, like I'd step on a nail or something, I'd have to soak my foot in Epsom salts or if anything was hurting, it was Epsom salts and hot water. (laughs) Well, you know, also to lean on Granny's wisdom, you know, all the rage are these weighted blankets, right? Everybody wants a weighted blanket. My wife's got one. They're amazing. They actually help you sleep deeper. 
they reduce that nervous fidgeting that you have at night and they put you into a state of relaxation. Granny had homemade quilts. Yes. You went to her house. It was not one homemade quilt. You had like six on the bed. They feel a lot like a weighted blanket. Oh, my granny made them. You only needed one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, you, you weren't getting up. Right? <laughs> so, so a lot of the wisdom that we've gotten away from, we're actually finding neurologically impacted our mental health so much more before. You know, those, those homegrown vegetables, a lot of what we need to be eating is locally sourced fruits and vegetables because that has the nutrients that we need for our brains to live and thrive in the environment we're in. Um, a lot of the practices that we had back in the old school days are practices that prevented mental illness. We just didn't even know. Yeah, you didn't have a choice back then. It was you ate what you grew. Yep. Right? I remember when I was behind a grasshopper, if you weren't old enough to work, you'd go out with granny to the field and she would pick what was being cooked that day. Yep. Yep. And she'd hold her apron out. We all run around and grab whatever she told us to get. And we put it in her apron and we all go back and she teaches how to wrap it and all that. Feeling purple holes and shucking corn and, and don't jump the potatoes. fence. If they say don't <laughs> jump that fence, yeah, don't I, I learned that lesson. <laughs> that bull will get but you. There, there's so much. There's so many minerals in the soil. Um, they actually, it's another form of grounding process where you go out barefoot and you just allow your feet to touch the soil, and that that can be healing because your feet actually has pores on it that absorb certain things right this is why you don't go barefoot you know out in out in a public restroom right because you're going to absorb the germs that are on the floor but the same is true for absorbing the minerals in the soil and there's a lot of richness to the earth and we as a nation we do not spend enough time in it we do not put our hands in the earth uh, we're not out there working and and processing and spending time in nature and again that goes back to the emdr treatment when you're outside in nature a long walk in the woods uh, gardening connecting with nature you know spending time with animals that can do so much for therapy that can do so much for your mental health that we totally undervalue in our current modern high technology and you know um lifestyle that we live yeah they so, uh, have a lot of that uh at most of those psychological retreats and stuff like that there's a lot of it's mainly earth and nature stuff that you do there's animals and outdoor activities mainly get out of the house get out of the room get outside yep so to answer your question about you know what i would recommend for people who are walking through ptsd and whether that ptsd comes from you know big big t trauma events or whether that comes from small daily life that just has has exhausted the soul. Human connection is one of the biggest things that you can do. Um, so if you're going to find a therapist, yes, sometimes finding a therapist who can meet you online is, is better than no therapist at all. However, if you can meet a therapist in person, that's amazing, right? So having someone that you can talk to, if it's not a therapist, a chaplain, a preacher, um, you know, a, a life coach, someone that you can talk to that you can be 100% honest with and that confidentiality um, is protected. So what you say in that space will just stay between you and that person and it's not compromised. It's not leaving that room and having someone that you can trust on that level, whether you are in a you know, an episode of a disorder or whether you are not, to me, just having someone that you have that you can reach out to is so important. Um, I like to tell people to have at least three people on that list that you could talk to. And that way, if someone's not available or you can't afford to go to your therapist or whatever, there's something preventing you from talking to one person, you have someone as backup. We never know with life, you know, what life's going to throw at us. 
There's a lot of great resources through the National Alliance for Mental Illness, NAMI. You can find a local NAMI chapter. Um, we're actually working to bring a NAMI chapter here to Douglas County, a NAMI affiliate. There's a lot of online resources for um, psychoeducation on, on mental health or mental illness. Um, you can, you know, contact in your local area. You know, the VA might have some resources. Uh, some of the churches, a lot of times churches will have, you know, in-house groups or meetings to where people can feel love and support. So the power of human connection to me is invaluable for healing. That's great information. And then also I would, what I always challenge um, my clients to do is that once they get started and they have their list of three safe people they can talk to, that they work on three hobbies that they can do that would allow them to stay grounded and connected and to be intentional with a good mental health routine. So wake up at the same time every day if you can, go to bed at the same time, reduce phone usage or electronics an hour before bed, um, work on a good sleep, you know, going to bed routine, a cup of hot tea, sitting under a melatonin light, using your infrared heating pad, whatever that is, you know, hot shower in the evening, you know, whatever. And then to eat solid, good foods. So much anxiety and depression just comes from a, an imbalance in our daily routines. And we're constantly go, 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 work, 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 fix problems, put out fires, help others. And we're not taking care of ourselves, our physical body. So having that good routine and then having hobbies or athletics or yoga or something that allows us to stay in that meditative grounded state at least a few times a week to where we can recharge our, our emotional batteries. Yeah, that's definitely helped us. Me and uh, me and the wife like to go kayaking and do that kind of thing because it's it just gets you out there and you just forget about everything for a while and float the river. Absolutely. And then I would say, you know, like you were saying, you and your wife, you know, you have this activity. If you are experiencing PTSD, if you are able to connect with your spouse and have those honest conversations, a lot of times in, in uh, relationships, someone will be suffering and they'll be afraid to even say it because they're not really sure if they're crazy or not, you know? They're not really sure what's actually going on for them. And so having those conversations where you're checking in one with another is so important. So if you know your spouse is struggling or if you're struggling and you need to at least say it, hey, I'm feeling triggered. I'm not sure why. Maybe I'm crazy right now. I don't know. But something's, something's off and my anxiety's up and I feel triggered. Having someone where you have that safe conversation with in your home is so helpful. Definitely having that connection with your, especially your closest confidant is definitely in my mind a necessity. Absolutely. I, I got lucky in that respect. You did. Your wife's awesome. I love her. <laughs> I, I think even with like your kids, I think sometimes a lot, a lot of times people will be struggling and they'll be afraid to let the people closest to them know. And they're just trying to keep it all together and so they're not having that honest conversation that says, hey, right now I've had a bad day or I'm really not feeling good. You know, mommy or daddy is very stressed out. I'm going to need a few minutes. You know, can you give me a few a time out? Let me take a few minutes and then we'll come back to whatever it is that you want to tell me about your video game or your day at school or whatever. Right. So being that's, able to sometimes that's tough to do. Sometimes you don't want to put your kids on a back burner. You feel horrible for putting your kid on a back burner when you're like, hey, man, I'm just not having a good. I can't talk to you right now. Right? Sometimes you just have to say, hey, look, give me 10 minutes and we'll, we'll get right back at it. And I think having, you know, demonstrating real life for our children is important because then we get to say, you know, not not uh, do what I tell you to do with your mental health. Watch me manage my mental health and model what I do with my mental health. And that's really what we're doing, right? Being an example. Yeah, because they will mimic you no matter what you do, <laughs> the good and the bad. They will uh, yes. they pick it all up. Yes, they do. <laughs> my kids both have my mouth, but hey, 
that's that's just the consequences. So they say modeled modeled learning is the most powerful form of learning. Yeah, you want to be a good example, that's for sure. I've seen what happens when, unfortunately, I've seen what happens when there isn't a good example in the home. Yeah, I think I yeah. yelled at one person out of the truck when my brat was a little girl, <laughs> and she is the worst screamer out the window. <laughs> I yep, know. They pick it up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's there's a lot of great um, there's a lot of great research on uh, mirroring neurons in the brain and how children develop through modeled behavior and they call that process attunement. Attunement is whenever I see you, I hear you, you are seen and you are heard. We have a deep need as as humans, and this is the power of connection, to hear and be heard, see and be seen, understand and be understood. And when you can communicate that that connection you actually give validation to their existence as a person. That attunement is what combats PTSD and how trauma is formed, right? That's that belief system I was talking about that really allows you your existence to feel valued. And if your existence as a person feels valued, you can withstand, that builds that resiliency to withstand any form of trauma that comes at you because you are a value. And the size of a man is the size of the problem that brings him down. And so you're able to rise above trauma and say, I have value and my value is greater than this bad thing that's happening right now. And so when you have a connected relationship with your kids or your spouse and you're able to attune yourself to them and not be distracted by your trauma, that's what allows you to build that resiliency within your home. Yeah, I uh, appreciate all of that. To to no end that I uh, have the support that I do at the house. Yeah, it definitely helps you when you're you're not at the house. And that support is probably the thing that your mom provided for you that allowed you to go through the difficulties of your childhood that would have otherwise capsized your life. The attunement that you received from your mom probably gave you that resiliency of spirit that you needed. Yeah, that's the only thing I can attribute it to because I should have went south in a hurry. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you too long, Tara. Uh, Jason, do you have any other questions? I do not right now. I mean, this is very informative. I mean, you probably described me three or four times a day <laughs> and uh, enlightened me on a few things I did not realize. So, Yes, very informative. Well, I uh, love talking about what I do. I uh, really enjoy being a therapist. It's it's definitely the best job in the world. It's hard some days. Um, I've held space for a lot of people with a lot of problems bigger than I even want to imagine, but it's... Yeah, I don't even want to know. Uh, well, if you you can put your information out there real quick. We're, we're, uh, well, not real quick. Just put your information out there, your, where you can be reached, uh, your email, I guess, and the Nichols Center information if you'd like. Sure. The, I run a nonprofit. Our nonprofit is the Nichols Center. Um, the website is www.nicholscenter.org. Um, that's N-I-C-H-O-L-S-C-N-T-E-R.org. You could also email me at nicholscenter.recovery at gmail.com. My private practice at, is 10 Therapy. And um, I also have written a book on um, the, the book is uh, The Authentic Woman 21 Self-Reflections. And you can find my book on Amazon, and that is 21 Reflections on specifically for women who have gone through abuse or trauma and how to, um, you know, overcome that trauma, create the identity um, that, that you would like to have, and then commitments to the person you'd like to become. And so that's available also, and, you know, I'm, I'm open to, to questions or comments, and so you can always reach out. Outstanding. I forgot you were an author as well. That's outstanding. Thank you very much, Tara. I appreciate your time. No problem. And um, I, I thank you for having me on. Thank you. And we'll, we'll talk again. This is uh this was awesome. We enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Tara. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or comments about the program, we can be reached at primecohesion at gmail.com. You can find the Nichols Center at www.nicholscenter.org backslash guardians project or 
404-736-2267.